Welcome to The Baseline, everyone. Dr. Mary Tally Bowden is a tremendous figure in the medical freedom struggle, and we need to rally around her at this time. She is leading the charge to get elected officials, appointed officials, and candidates to sign on to a declaration asking for the removal of COVID vaccines from the market. Her struggle began when she was penalized for saving lives with early treatment protocols. She then butted heads with the establishment again when she spoke out against dehumanizing medical mandates. Where did she encounter this medical tyranny? Los Angeles? No. New York? No. It was in Houston, Texas, of all places. Houston Methodist Hospital specifically, where she was called into this struggle. I am honored and overjoyed to welcome to the baseline Dr. Mary Tally Bowden. Dr. Bowden, how are you today? Thank you so much for joining us. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Jeremiah. Well, first of all, before I forget, I want to uh, send the warm regards of Dr. Kimberly Biss. Um, I believe you guys maybe have met not in person, but online. And uh, she's another uh, great voice in the struggle. I just did a Substack interview, a written interview with Dr. Biss. Everyone, please check out my Substack. I'm really excited about uh, the article or the interview, I guess, that I put out last night featuring Dr. Kimberly Biss. And actually, I just subscribed to your Substack, Dr. Bowden. Everyone, please go to Substack.com. Please subscribe to my Substack. If you haven't already subscribed to my Substack as a listener of this show, that's kind of crazy. But um, definitely subscribe to Dr. Bowden's Substack. I just uh, scrolled through it, and it's phenomenal. But today, Dr. Bowden, I'd actually kind of like to start things off in a reverse order, if you don't mind. It's kind of like one of those movies where they show you the end of the movie first and the whole movie is how did we get to that first scene. I think that since you're taking this incredible initiative that I want to just get right to that um, at the very beginning in terms of you explaining to the audience this incredible initiative that you've taken in terms of getting elected officials and candidates and appointed officials to sign on to this declaration to remove the COVID vaccines. Because so often we spend time talking about the problem, and I think that's necessary. I don't want to boo-hoo talking about the problem. Like there's the saying, don't talk about it, be about it. And I understand the sentiment of the saying. I like the saying. But on the other hand, we have to talk about what we're doing because we can't just do action and it's not intelligent action or it's not coordinated action as a community. But in this case, we have a really special situation where we have Dr. Bowden leading in very clear action that we can support. And that is so important. So before we get into your really incredible story, Dr. Bowden, in terms of all that you've experienced over the past few years. Could you just get everyone up to speed about this incredible initiative that you've launched? It it happened very organically. This was in mid-November. I connected with a vaccine-injured legislator from Michigan, Brad Paquette, and it was on Twitter. And basically, we just sort of connected and He and I both agreed that the shot should be pulled off the market. And then I found two candidates running for office in Texas, John Perez and Julie Clark. And they were both on board. And it just snowballed from there. And I have grown this list of politicians who, and they, they all feel very strongly about it. None of them have needed convincing, which is, gives me hope because, 
and they shouldn't need convincing. Um, but I think there are more people out there than we realize. I had no idea that I would be able to get this many names on the list. I think we're up to 195 people now. And we're from 35 states. And we've got some bigger names on there. We've got Senator Ron Johnson. We've got Thomas Massey. We've got Marjorie Taylor Greene. We've got the Surgeon General of Florida. But, you know, we go down to the precinct chairs. We have school board members. We have city commissioners. So it's, it's a mixture of leaders there. And it's a very clear, simple statement. And all it is is that the COVID shots should be pulled off the market. And you know, we have got a big mess to clean up from this pandemic. But first and foremost, we have to stop the bleeding and we have to just get these dangerous products off the market because they are causing way more harm. And, and, and there's, there's zero good. What I'm seeing now, I still see COVID patients in my clinic. Their oxygen levels are not dropping. They, they have a cold. They have bronchitis. They are not needing to go to the hospital. We have early treatment available. There is no need for this experimental injection. And it's also on the pediatric vaccine schedule now. So to me, this is an emergency. We have to get this addressed before anything else. I couldn't agree more. It is an absolute emergency. I mean, oh, my God to be in communication now with the vaccine injured as a journalist, it's just heart-wrenching. I'm not vaccine injured myself, thankfully. Um, I was able to avoid the uh, coercion that was placed upon my shoulders and, and so many others that I know, just, you know, through fortunate circumstances, I was able to navigate and survive, basically, the threat against my survival. But I know a lot of people who they didn't want to take the shots and they felt that they were really having their lives threatened. And that's another aspect of this as well. You know, there are people who are seriously injured. There are people who are no longer alive because of these shots. And there are people who are worried about their health. I know someone who was worried about their health and now they've been diagnosed with a serious medical condition, a perilous condition. I, I know many people now, unfortunately, who have new medical problems and is it the shots i don't know but you didn't have these problems a couple years ago you're pretty young to have these problems in a lot of examples um i, I it feels to me dr Bowden, like it's a situation where it's almost like um how it took so many was it decades to acknowledge the harm that tobacco causes or any number mm -hmm. of cases where it just for some reason we're just really slow to the draw in acknowledging something that is causing clear harm. But in this case, we have to place special recognition on the fact that these things were mandated, right? We weren't mm -hmm. mandated to smoke cigarettes to go to work. Mm -hmm. We weren't mm -hmm. mandated to do any number of things, which is a clear violation of our rights. And for people who say, why are you so obsessed with this? Well, I'm obsessed with being alive. I'm obsessed with my mm -hmm. children being alive. I don't see why you're not obsessed with that, actually, because a very bad precedent was set. And if we don't start cleaning some of this mess up now, it's going to start spiraling even further mm -hmm. out of control than it already has. I don't think any of us involved in this medical freedom movement are, are here for fun and games at this point. This is a really serious matter, and we need to basically just be very mature 
in addressing these things. It, there's so much of an effort to just derail the conversation and just make sort of ridiculous remarks and not address the key points that we're trying to impress, like the fact that people are getting injured. So please now, Dr. Bowden, give us some of your backstory, because I've been listening to interviews with you all week in preparation for this discussion, and I find your story to be astonishing in many respects. I mean, there's so many features to your story that are, are remarkable, like the fact that a doctor who has a stellar record of treating patients and saving who knows how many lives is then under fire for, for treating patients, for fulfilling your oath. It seems to me, doctor, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the impression that I get from you is you're not a person who is seeking out the limelight in any way. You've become this heroine figure simply for being ethical, for not bowing down to something that was wrong. You've turned into this adversarial figure as far as the establishment is concerned, but you didn't do anything radical. You did what you're supposed to do. Is that not true? Right. So I'm an ear, nose, and throat doctor. I'm a solo physician in Houston. And as an ear, nose, and throat doctor, we were used to seeing patients with respiratory tract infections. So I'd have my patients coming in with COVID and I was treating them early on. I, I didn't know about ivermectin early on. I just used common sense. I used breathing treatments. I used antibiotics and steroids. I, you know, and early on, yeah, I remember these patients would take longer to get better than what was typically seen, but they were they were getting better. And then we had monoclonal antibodies, and I was using those. Those worked very well. People would turn around and get better the next day. And I could get as many doses of monoclonal antibodies as I wanted. I could contact the company, and the next day I would have them on my doorstep. And then the government took over distribution around the same time that the vaccine mandates came out. And so it became harder and harder to get monoclonal antibodies. And that's when I started looking at alternatives such as ivermectin. And I was, I was very careful and cautious initially. I made sure I wasn't going to hurt anybody. I really dug into the data. I went to the FDA's original uh, study where it was approved for human use. And once I was assured it was safe, then I started using it. And I found that it was just as effective as the monoclonal antibodies. Well, I was actually, I had privileges at Houston Methodist Hospital, and I never used them as a ENT. I primarily do outpatient surgery. I've never had to admit anybody at the hospital, but you just had them as a backup. And I, I was actually sharing my data with them. We were collaborating. We were trying to research. We were trying to uh, publish the research we were doing with these COVID patients. So, you know, we had a good working relationship, and I remember it was the summer of, we had a big surge in cases, and, you know, the vac they had mandated the vaccine in June, and in July, I mean, I was just flooded with vaccinated COVID patients, and I said to them, you know, what's going on? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Like, I thought all these patients were going to be protected from the vaccine, and at that time, I was open-minded to it. I wasn't, I didn't get the shot, um, but... I thought, well, I don't think it's going to work, but I didn't realize how dangerous they would be at that time. Um, but, you know, I was seeing all these breakthrough cases, and they basically gaslit me. And they was like, oh, it just lowers the severity of, of disease. Well, I started speaking out on Twitter, and back then I didn't have very many followers, and I was pretty cautious. I said things like, ivermectin works, and, 
And then I came out against the mandates because I had all these patients coming to me, very distraught, having to choose between taking an experimental injection with, with unknown efficacy, unknown safety, and staying employed or, just, or staying in school. And I started speaking out on Twitter about that. And on one day, I said, I, I tweeted out 25 times, vaccine mandates are wrong. And I put a patient testimonial on there, a screenshot. And five days later, they came after me. They suspended my privileges in a very public fashion. I actually found out about it from a reporter at the Houston Chronicle. They, they tweeted that I was spreading dangerous misinformation. And it just, you know, it just blew up my world. Like, I was just the solo practitioner in a very quiet clinic. And it, it changed my life. Um, but, yeah, and then they reported it's so, as soon as they did that, I resigned because I was so disgusted with the way they did that. Um, and then they reported me to the medical board because I resigned while I was suspended or under investigation. And then I'm still dealing with that. Um, I had a hearing in April with the medical board. Wow. Well, let me ask you something that one of my astute sort of uh, behind-the-scenes producers raised as a point, which I thought was an interesting point in terms of, who was actually responsible for this nonsense? Because I find that very distressing, actually, that, the you know, it seems like just sort of a, a an odd feature of the story when you mention that the media was notified about your termination before you were. And mm-hmm. that, that, to me, that's very suspicious, I find. And then it makes me wonder, well, who who's doing that? Who's in charge of this decision-making, could you say? Well, I think Methodist was chosen to be the first hospital in the country to mandate the shots, and I think they were they were chosen for a reason. You know what my theory is on the? Oh, I, I'm gonna I, you tell me your theory, and I, I have a theory that I'm kind of proud of that I wanted to share with you about. Okay, that. well, this will be good. I uh, my theory is that they figured if they could get away with it in Texas, in the seemingly red state of Texas, that they could get away with it anywhere. That it was a testing ground. Um, and that they used me as an example, okay, this is what's going to happen to you if you speak out. I was not a revenue stream for Methodist. I don't think they would have done this to their top cardiothoracic surgeon, right? Mm-hmm. They did it to somebody who was expendable. I was, I was outside their system. I had privileges, but barely. Um, so I think, it was, I think there was more to it than, than meets the eye, as you suggested as well. But I'm very interested to hear your theory. Well, my theory is very similar to yours. It's the same theory, basically, but I'm a martial arts practitioner. At this exact same time, I will be practicing martial arts in Chinatown, New York City tomorrow. I do this uh, every Saturday. I used to train several times a week, but, you know, I'm a family man now, so I don't get to train as much as I would like, but every Saturday is my martial arts uh, sanctuary, and uh, I take my son, which is also a great joy for me, but One concept in terms of reality combat, in terms of surviving on the streets, and hopefully we never have to employ any of these uh, techniques or concepts, that's what you hope, but if you're in a situation where you're being attacked by multiple combatants, let's say it's just a three against one type of situation, first of all, the odds are clearly against you. It's not easy to survive those situations. It's not like the movies. It's never like a movie, but a rule of thumb is attack the biggest guy, the biggest assailant, the most dangerous looking one, attack them first. If you could manage to defend yourself, to beat them, it sends a message to the others. And that was sort of the technique that was used in 
again, picking Texas, like you said, if we could take Texas down, big red mm-hmm. Texas with the, you know, First Amendment enthusiasm, I mean, the uh, Second Amendment enthusiasm, you know, Texans are known for being into their rights and into their guns. If we can get them to comply, then these other little liberal cities, especially, they'll they'll just fold like a like a tent in the wind. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think we, we're on the same page in terms of why they picked Texas, because, yeah, I mean, I'm actually kind of surprised, and I'd, I'd like to even hear some of your thoughts about that, because my impression of Texas, I've been to Texas a little bit. I have some family in Texas. I actually have some family in Houston. Um, as a musician, I've performed in Texas just a little bit. I wish I could have performed there more, but I've performed in Texas. But I have this impression of Texas that they wouldn't comply. So mm-hmm. how did how did they get Southern folks? How did they get Texans to to comply to any of this? I mean, right. I, well, I've dug into this because I wondered the same thing. And you know, Texas is not as red as you would think. We've had a huge influx of people from California and New York in the last ten years. We the fastest growing se- economic sector in our state is healthcare. And that's the number one job. That's the number one uh, availability. Uh, and when you look at healthcare, healthcare used to be predominantly Republican, Republican leaning. Um, and then, but now over the last ten years, most people that go into healthcare are Democrats. So we've got we've got people from California and New York. We've got this surge of healthcare. These healthcare workers are primarily Democrats. We're just being infiltrated, and when you looked at at the last uh, session in the Texas legislature, yeah, our house is predominantly Republican, but it has been that it's also been infiltrated, and we had eleven medical freedom bills up for consideration, only eight of them passed. Two, I mean, sorry, not only three of those passed. And of those three, two were COVID-related. One was about the gender transformation. And the, and the mandate was the last one to pass. It, ha- it took a special session, and it still leaves students vulnerable. So students can still be mandated to get the shots. And you know, the Senate was, was good. They were, they were passing things, but the House was not. So that was, that's another motivation I have with this list is, trying to unseat all these politicians that were supposed to protect us that have stayed silent. And you know, a lot of these people are now saying, oh, we're anti-mandate. Well, that's not enough because this, this product is dangerous. And I agree. It's not, you know, it's not enough to stand up against the mandate. I that's, agree. That's an, that's I totally a, agree. I mean, on that subject, I'd say, first of all, you know, it's, it's pretty sad to me. It's pretty disappointing that I know a lot of people who said behind the scenes – privately to me, well, I'm pro-vaccine, but I don't really support the mandates. You don't support Mm -hmm. the mandates, but you're not willing to speak up about it. And that's the sad part, is you see people's rights being violated, and for whatever reason, you've given into this sort of peer pressure atmosphere. But then also, I agree with you in terms of what you just said, which is I hear people make the comment of, well, you should have the right to do what you want to do, and I should have. No, you shouldn't have the right to take poison in a medical facility. Right. I'm sorry. That's, right. not, that's not part of your rights to go and get poisoned in, in a hospital. You know, I don't think that's a right per se. Um, mm-hmm. But I would like to uh, ask you, 
um, since you are so experienced in dealing with COVID, I'd just like to ask you quickly, um, what would be uh, your sort of immediate checklist if someone, you know, if, I mean, this is, you know, I know your disclaimer, Dr. Bowden is not giving you medical advice, I'm, but I'm speaking generically as someone who, who's very um, experienced in dealing with this and has helped so many patients. If someone feels sick, feels they might have COVID, what should they do? What should be the immediate checklist for right. someone who well, wants to sustain I, their health? I'll start by saying the COVID that we're seeing now is a lot milder than the COVID that we were seeing a couple of years ago. I honestly can't remember the last time I saw a patient where I was worried that they might need to go home on oxygen or, you know, th th there was a lot of uh, concern about their their status going down quickly. That being said, I mean, it's not fun to be sick. So I still treat it, and um, uh, earlier the better. And, you know, it depends on the situation, but my standard sort of go-to protocol is a combination of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and a Z-pack. It's not for everybody, but it, you know, and then, you know, if it does, what I, one thing I am seeing more of this time around is this chronic cough, uh, so this lingering bronchitis. Again, the oxygen levels aren't dropping, but just a cough that, that won't go away. And, but it responds very well to breathing treatments. So usually doing that, uh, occasionally you need to do steroids, but not often. Um, and then lots of vitamins and irrigating your nose. Uh, gargling with salt water with a little bit of betadine, um, but like I said, it's it's just not the COVID that we were once dealing with. Right. Well, that's good. Um, but n now let me ask you about well, what is COVID? Because um, you know, and I'm not one of these people. I'm not a virus denier. You know, I I'm I'm. I'm interested in everybody's theory and point of view, and I personally have not enough expertise to even weigh in one way or another. Um, but I do find that, um, you know, an atmosphere of confusion was created. So then people mm -hmm. kind of go too far in, in one direction or another and not understanding what's going on, and we immediately deride those people as conspiracy theorists, et cetera, et cetera. But, well, people don't know what's going on, in fairness. Right. And the, the officials haven't been clear. That's one of my key points is never mind all the so-called misinformation. Give us clear information. And we don't have to worry mm -hmm. about misinformation. So that's the problem. Like the, the health officials using the claims misinformation, disinformation, malinformation as a smokescreen. Mm -hmm. Never mind all that boogaloo. What do we need to know? Right. Mm -hmm. But my question to you is this. We know that there was sort of um abuse of the PCR test. I, I believe that uh, we were using, my understanding is we were using the PCR test in precisely the way that its inventor, Carrie Mullis, said, do not use the test. And we created this, as some people will get offended by the term, but we created a case-demic, where among mm -hmm. many other definitions that were changed, the definition of a medical case had changed, where now it just meant you tested positive on a test. It, it wasn't that you were necessarily a medical patient in, in any particular respect. So my question is, you know, what is COVID in your experience in the sense that we had people who were testing positive on a COVID test, but they didn't by any measure have severe acute respiratory syndrome. They didn't have SARS. If COVID is supposed to be SARS, well, they had no respiratory symptoms. You mean to say someone has indigestion 
and then they test positive and we call it another COVID patient? Well, all, all tests require clinical correlation, and that was going on before COVID. It got thrown out the window with COVID. Personally, like, I have never been an advocate of retesting. So when your symptoms are gone, I don't know why people were requiring you to get a, a negative test to go on with your life when you're feeling completely fine. That makes absolutely no sense. The one symptom that is unique to COVID that I've never seen before, and as an ear, nose, and throat doctor, we see patients that lose their sense of smell. And we've, we, prior to COVID, people would lose their sense of smell with a viral infection, but it would be permanent. And it's very interesting. This is the first time I've ever seen a virus that causes complete uh, lack of smell, but then it comes back. It's very interesting. So when you correlate that with the test, when you correlate the symptoms with the test, uh, the test can be reliable. Uh, but this whole testing asymptomatic, the PCR is basically overly sensitive. I mean, we know that. And you could argue the rapid antigen is underly sensitive. It's not picking up enough. Um, but, you know, it's not, I don't think we should throw the test out the window. Uh, but this it's all, it just, you just need clinical correlation. And that, it doesn't matter what you're testing. Um, that's just the basic tenet of medicine. Hmm. Well, that's helpful. So, before we forget, um, I would like to ask you, um, what is the means by which people can support your campaign that we discuss at the top of the show? In case someone... Uh, ran and grabbed their pencil um, as they were supposed to and is ready to take some notes as far as how we can all get involved. Because like I said, folks, you know, we can all lament about what happened, but we should also seize the opportunity to take proactive action. And when we have someone taking the initiative, we should support them. So what what is it? First of all, um, MD Breathe is, is your Twitter handle. Is that correct, Dr. Bowden? Yes, yes. MD Breathe. So one concept I'd like to share with you, Dr. Bowden, we're actually going to host or a few uh, medical freedom allies um, and myself are going to host a Twitter space tonight. I don't know if you're possibly available to join us, but um, we want to talk about social media strategies for uplifting the medical freedom movement. And I have this concept. I don't know why I phrase it this way, but my concept is um, feed the big dogs raise the puppies, and give voice to the vaccine injured. And what I mean by the big dogs is Dr. Bowden has 291,000 followers on Twitter. That's pretty sizable. That's, that's incredible. But you know what? As far as I'm concerned, she should have a million. We should all, because she's, she's leading the charge. So if she's functioning in a leadership capacity for what we're trying to achieve, well, we need to support her to the hilt. We, we need to we need to roll up our sleeves and make sure we're doing something to help. But likewise, there are people like me. I'm a puppy. I'm, I'm coming up in the medical freedom conversation, and I've made it perfectly clear I have no special credentials or expertise. I'm just a concerned citizen. I'm a musician by trade. I'm also a chess teacher. I'm a father. I live in New York City. I don't claim any authority on any of these matters. The only authority I claim is in regard to my own human rights and the rights of my children. But um, but likewise, as you guys know, I'm bringing powerhouse guests to the table every week 
in service of our movement. So yes, please elevate me as well. I will, I will ask you for your support because um, there's no point in having incredible guests on this program if we don't have a very large number of people hearing the conversation. And actually, we're, we're doing some pretty good numbers, I've seen. We have a good listening audience. I don't know how many people are listening right this second, but people listen to this program. But you know what? I want more people to listen to this program. And one thing I've noticed is it really helps, aside from just a random social media post, and we know social media is controlled by various invisible forces to a large extent, reach out to people individually. Make a little cadre of people who are responsive. Of course, some people are just stuck on stupid. You know, don't, I'm not telling you to go pick arguments with people that are just not receptive. But for the people who are receptive or possibly receptive, let's manually share the information from person to person. I forget who said it, but I think I heard some uh, some marketing person. Maybe it was just on tw- Twitter. It was a Twitter space that I stumbled into yesterday, where someone was saying word of mouth is still the number one promotion for all of this technology we have. Person-to-person communication is still number one. So let's elevate this conversation. And Dr. Bowden, what, what are the means by which people can get connected with the struggle that you're, that you're leading in terms of getting people to sign this pe- pe- uh, petition and getting people to commit to that? Well, yeah, speaking of the puppies, all the candidates and all the politicians who have put their neck on the line and put their name on this, on this list, we can, we can support them. So you can follow them on Twitter. You can retweet their posts. You can give them free PR. So that, that's what do. And they really, they're spitting in the face of Big Pharma. They are basically... They put themselves on a list where, you know, they're not going to be receiving campaign donations from a lot of hospitals, medical facilities, any kind of pack that's healthcare related, and certainly not any pharmaceutical companies. So I created a political action committee to help support these candidates. And if you go to the website, AmericansForHealthFreedom.org, you can donate. $5 is great. We don't need a lot of money. If everybody chipped in just a little bit, we could really make an impact uh, and help these candidates that are doing the politically risky thing and putting their names on this list. But if you don't want to donate, just at least give them a follow and, you know, help promote their names on social media. That would be very helpful. Right. I mean, everyone, please do what you can, right? Don't, Don't feel embarrassed if you can't do as much as someone else, just do what you can. I find that people do that sometimes. They feel a little guilty for what they can't do, and then they use that as an excuse for inaction. But don't be like that. Contribute as well as you can. Now, I want to ask you, I'm hoping actually maybe we could take some callers today. Um, We've covered a lot of territory, and um, if you'd like to join the conversation and talk to the tremendous Mary Tally Bowden, A good friend of mine, a poet, said, don't use the word amazing, because if you're in a maze, that means you're confused. Say tremendous, because trees mend us. So um, if you'd like to speak to the uh, tremendous Mary Tally Bowden, please call 888-874-4888-874-888-874-4888. So... Um, Dr. Bowden, I've heard you in interviews 
say that you were not an anti-vaxxer in the first place. Um, and, you know, some people take exception to that term, but we all know. Well, actually, we don't all know what it means because that's another definition they changed. Now, anti-vaxxer is someone who refuses any shot. If you refuse any shot whatsoever, now you're an anti-vaxxer. Um, so if you don't have, I guess, like eight COVID shots by now, ooh, you're an anti-vaxxer. Go run and get up to date with your shots. No, please don't, actually. But um, my question is about vaccines in general. Now, as a father of two young children, I, too, was not an anti-vaxxer. My wife and I had the position that basically we, we didn't want our children to receive an excessive number of vaccines, and many of them seemed unnecessary, but we would protect them, quote-unquote, with the tried-and-true vaccines that they've claimed were just such important medical breakthroughs. I mean, I've seen people describe vaccines as the greatest medical breakthrough in history. And there's a lot of, shall I say, propaganda, just raving about vaccines and not disclosing any of the actual documented harms that have occurred, like the Cutter event and other such documented failures of vaccine campaigns. But let me ask you, as someone who's had a variety of guests on this show weighing in on the subject what are your thoughts because here are my concerns let me let me lay out two quick concerns for you before um, we get your response which is first of all i'm concerned that uh these adjuvants and and various cellular material that's being injected into people monkey kidney cells and mercury and aluminum and all this kind of stuff that that's potentially leading to long-term health problems that we haven't considered. That when you, you know, show up in the doctor's office, maybe you're 50 years old, maybe you're 60, maybe you're 70, and they don't know why you have this cancer or this autoimmune thing or this rare disease. There's so often situations where the doctor says, we don't really know what it is. It could be genetic. It could be your environment. It could be stress. They don't exactly know, but then it's right into, you know, the surgery, the chemotherapy, the radical protocols. That's the part they're clear about. Why you got sick, they're not so sure. So my concern is, one, that these vaccines are potentially leading to long-term health problems and we're not making the association. But then my other issue is, and I've spoken to the pediatricians of my children, more than one pediatrician, and I'm a little bit distressed actually as a father in terms of the lack of specificity in terms of what I am protecting myself from. So for example, if a child does not receive a polio shot in New York City under the current modern conditions, what are the, what's the likelihood of them just contracting polio randomly in New York City? Is that, are we, when I'm, Receiving a medical intervention, what is the purpose? I'd like to be clear about that at this point. Is it one in a hundred thousand type of event I'm protecting myself from? One in a million? When I've asked the question, the answer has been very unsatisfying. So what are your thoughts about vaccines at this point, Dr. Bowden? Right. Well, in medical school, we were not given the answers to those types of questions. Or, you know, we were just it was just taken at face value that vaccines are good. And, you know, apart from memorizing the vaccine schedule, there wasn't a lot of information about it. And so I, you know, until COVID hit, I just, I don't know, I just assumed they were all fine. Um, 
And so that's you know one good thing out of COVID is that we are going to start really questioning, do we need all these shots? And did you know that now, by the time that you are 18 years old and starting from, the, from being a fetus, you are expected to receive 90 vaccines. I mean, it's just truly unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I am questioning it now. I, I don't have young children, um, and I don't, you know, as an ENT, I don't fill out those kind of shots. So, but I'm definitely digging into it. Um, I can suggest some great resources for people to look into it if they are struggling with whether or not to vaccinate their children. Uh, Turtles All the Way Down is a, is a book. The Children's Health Defense has a lot of information. And then there's a local organization called Texans for Vaccine Choice, and they have a lot of information uh, one thing that I've always done, you know, when my kids were little, is I never gave them shots when they were sick because I thought that was too, it was too much for the immune system. And the other thing is, a lot of pediatricians are at least willing now to open to spacing them out so you don't get five shots in one day. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm questioning all of it. I don't have a definite answer yet. But and I think because the lack of transparency now, I mean, there's just zero trust, right? And so, I mean, if it were, if I had young children right now, I, I would just hold off until we have more information. I totally agree. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm really concerned as, again, as a father of two young children, that the schools are becoming like de facto medical facilities, and we didn't ask mm-hmm. them to. Um, the other day, I was picking up my three-year-old daughter from preschool, and someone from the administration approached me, like, somewhat aggressively. I mean, not in a hostile manner, but they kind of ran up to me and said, you know, your, her medical information isn't up to date. We, we need new medical information. If uh, there wasn't an administration change that just happened, she actually wouldn't be authorized to be in school right now. Her medical stuff is out of date, and we, we had a medical uh, appointment scheduled for, like, Monday or something for her to get a physical, but my daughter is not sick. She's a strong right. young girl. She's, she's in great health. Um, she Thankfully, knock on wood, I'm sitting at a nice wooden table right here, she's in great health. So can you just basically focus on teaching her the ABCs, the letters mm-hmm. A through Z and the numbers 0 through 9? And basically some basic child care. Why, like when there was an orientation for my daughter's preschool, somehow they literally managed to use the word hemoglobin more than once. Like what is going on? I don't go to the doctor and do math homework at the doctor's office, right? We don't take children's books out to read at the doctor. I mean, I guess maybe you could read a children's book in the waiting room, but you don't sit there with your doctor doing your homework. So why are schools taking it upon themselves to function as medical facilities? I think we should step up and tell them to back off. I think I would like to personally return to uh, patient and uh, doctor confidentiality. I don't want everyone having access to my medical records or my children's medical records, et cetera. Um, we actually do have a caller on the line. We have uh, Brother Muhammad on the line. Um, and if you'd like to join the conversation, please call 888-874-4888, 888-874-4888. But, Muhammad, uh, thank you for calling. How are you today? You're very welcome, Jeremiah. Thank you very much. Very good program. 
just have a question for you and the doctor, if you could possibly answer it. Back on June 5th of, of last year, uh, it was a show that comes on called Witness Cell is going on by Renee, and she had Dr. True, and then they brought on a Dr. Rashid Butada, and he was saying that in those vaccines or shots that people were taking, he said it was a chip in there that was connected to 5G, and one day they was going to pull that switch, and it's going to kill a lot of people. Any thoughts about that, or did you hear that? I have definitely heard that theory, um, but I have not seen enough evidence to believe it yet. I mean, but I know that that is a theory floating around. Um, and hey, now after what's happened the last four years, I think anything's possible. Uh, but I haven't been convinced that it's true yet. So, okay, just one last uh, comment. Um, uh, Renee did say that um, Dr. Rashid Buttada, they did kill him. He's dead. Okay, thank you very much for your uh, feedback and comments. Well, yeah, let me let me comment. let me respond to that as well, Muhammad. You you raise a fair point. Yes, um, people will say, you know, oh, that's crazy that you would say that. Well, no, I think it's crazy when you try to force inject the entire planet. So, you know, let's not put the the burden of craziness on the people who are wondering what the heck is going on, which is a point I was making earlier, but. Um, first of all, in regard to Dr. Buttar there, I don't know all the details, but there are some suspicious things surrounding his death. He, he was perfectly well. Dr. Buttar was one of the first voices I came across in terms of a dissident doctor. And one thing that I remember that he phrased so well, I believe, is he was warning people. He said, listen, folks, there's the health component to this. People are concerned about their health and we need to be concerned about that but they should also keep an eye on the fact that there's a criminal component to what is going on here so exactly. you know that that was an interesting way of phrasing it there's a criminal component as far as what you're saying right. i don't believe or disbelieve anything i've described myself as an open-minded skeptic an extremely open-minded skeptic i'm not jumping to to believe in anything in particular but I've raised the question with previous guests on this show why did they need to inject everybody it wasn't for nothing what were they trying to do number one my three theories basically the three things and I don't know if anyone could add to the list but number one um, you have just money and power right the basic old thing of money and power you can never have enough money you can never have enough power I mean, a lot of profit was made. Profit was made hand over fist pertaining to, you know, this mandated. I mean, there's nothing you could do bigger in business than have forced customers, right? You don't need to sell your stuff. But then there's the issue of depopulation agenda. Sounds crazy. But when you're trying to inject everybody in the world with something, we understand not everybody in the world is nice and human beings have done very harmful things to other human beings throughout human history. So I don't take that off of the table. And there is this concerning issue of excess mortality in various countries that seems to correlate with the inoculation of so many people, the mass inoculation. But number three, there's also the concept of Sorry to sound crazy, guys, but it's just not off the table in terms of what's available, technologically speaking, 
the injectable operating system. Moderna themselves used that terminology on their own website, and then it mysteriously was pulled off of their website. Like, mm, maybe the public's not ready for that kind of terminology under the circumstances. But I also would like to put a hypothetical thing out there, and I'm not saying that this is what this is, but I'm going to kind of go out here on a limb for a second, if you guys could bear with me for a second. This is purely out of my imagination. I have no evidence to support this whatsoever, to be perfectly clear. This is, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a comic book reader. I like Star Trek. So put it that way. I'm using my imagination. But in warfare, one thing that you would like to achieve is the ultimate weapon, right? The best weapon is a weapon that disables or destroys the opposition without you experiencing any harm whatsoever. Right? We don't want a fair fight. We don't want to have a duel in the town square. We want to be able to obliterate the opponent while experiencing no injury or loss whatsoever. So what about the concept of a hypothetical weapon where you have basically an implanted operating system and now you choose to kill them however you want, whenever you want? So you over there, you had a heart attack. And you over there, you just lost your balance on a stepladder. And you over there, you have an autoimmune disorder that's going to play out for a few months. And you over there, you're a man who woke up and thinks you're a woman out of nowhere. You just told your wife, hey, honey, I decided I'm a woman. What if you can alter people's health condition and their psychological state just like someone is using the apps on a cell phone? Just a hypothetical idea I'm putting out there. If not, in this instance, a weapon that weapon makers would love to achieve. But I'd like to thank you, you uh, know, Muhammad. One last comment, if I could, Muhammad, very quickly. In, in 28 on the Bilderberg Group uh, video we got from um, WBI, Bill Gates talked about it was too many people on the planet, and one way he was going to reduce it, it was with vaccines. He did say that in, I think, 208. Right. Thank you for hearing me. Yeah, yeah thank you. program. Right, yeah, and Bill Gates, to be clear, he wasn't just openly saying that he wanted to reduce the population. Of course, he wouldn't be that brazen, although a few things have slipped out of his mouth that seem very suspicious and strange. But he was saying, well, when people are doing better in terms of health and their economic standing, they reproduce less. So just to make it clear, that's what he was trying to formulate. But I just find it strange in general that he's so concerned with the population. Why doesn't he just focus on just living his own life? And he doesn't do anything in terms of creating like a potable water agenda. That's one of the most suspicious things. Why aren't these people trying to end world starvation? Why aren't they trying to get potable water to people? Why would you put exotic vaccines at the front of the list? That doesn't make any sense. Um, we have another caller on the line. Thank you, Mohammed. We have Frank from New York on the line. 888-874-4888 if you want to jump into the conversation. How are you today, Frank? Uh, well, I could be a little bit better. I, I've Sorry got to hear that. Cough. Oh, yeah, I have, I, are, you, are you hearing me all right? Yeah, I hear you great. Sorry to hear you're not feeling well. Well, yeah, I have this, I've had this cough now for about uh, six weeks. And um, I, I didn't take any, I'm not a, a COVID uh, shot person. And uh, I hope not. the only thing is I hang around with people that, did get the shot, and I'm kind of concerned about this whole thing about shedding, uh, and uh, if that's, you know, if I, I should be more careful, but at any rate, I'm also very much into taking a lot of um, uh, vitamins, a lot of vitamin D. I've been taking D for, and vitamin E for a long, long time, and I also uh, 
when I did get COVID, I did get ivermectin, and uh, that's what basically uh, cured me. Um, I'm, I'm retired from uh, working for IBM for 43 years as an engineering technician in the lab, so I'm very much into things like data. And, uh, and so as I look around, uh, around different websites and different people talking, and they basically talk about you know, some of the data that's coming in from different countries, and, and one thing that hit me was uh, in Russia, uh, from what I gathered, uh, uh, Putin said his daughter came down with HIV, and he says, oh, there's something wrong with this vaccine that they developed, Sputnik, and he says, well, we're going to get rid of it all. So he basically put the kibosh on the vaccine. They says destroy all of the vaccines, that, uh, that all of the vaccine for this COVID that they developed. And, and, uh, and he wasn't too happy with the people that developed it either. So at <laughs> any rate, so, so yeah, Dr. Um, Bowden, I, I, uh, I support what you're doing. The other thing that I think is really important is, uh, you know, you could get, we can get people running for political office and trying to make a difference, but the trouble right now is that the the uh, the voting problem. I, I'm supporting this gal from Arizona, Wendy Rogers. She's a senator, and she's unearthing all of the fraud that went on at the voting. So, you know, you if we can't, if that's a, the other part of it is you can't get voting uh, uh, being uh, legitimate. You, you're not going to get these people in office. So you you know you, there's, there's there's termites all over the place, and that's one of the termites. So. That's my comment at this moment, uh, Dr. Bowden. Appreciate it. I'm going to support you any way I can. And uh, and uh, I, I like the fact that this – I got to this program because I was listening to Gary Knoll before. So there you go. Well, thank you. And thanks uh, for the shout-out from Gary Knoll uh, at the beginning of the show or at the end of his show. That was greatly appreciated. And thank you for your call, Frank. Um, we do appreciate that. And by the way, guys, if yeah. you want to look me up on – Twitter, I'm Earth Driver. Look up at Earth Driver. E A R T H D R I V E R. And um, like I said, look up Dr. Bowden at MD Breathe. Please follow us. I'm hosting a Twitter space tonight and we can hang out. You can ask for a microphone and you can talk um, and we can exchange ideas. We're trying to engage in proactive strategy sessions to move this movement forward because to me it's so clear that these shots are injuring people we just have to start getting the word out a lot faster to prevent more injury and also to get support for the people who are already injured i mean there are people whose lives have been really uh, decimated by this campaign and to uh, to ignore those people is is unconscionable it's it's terrible what's been done to the vaccine injured they've been left like roadkill at the side of the road it's absolutely disgusting especially something that was supposed to be rooted in some sort of humanitarian endeavor to make sure everyone stays well and then people get injured and you don't care i mean that's one thing i have to say as far as the politicians who push this on us these same politicians who can't manage to i said they can't fix a goddamn pothole but they want to put medications into our bodies? No thank you. They don't have a track record of trust to engage in such a campaign. And now people are injured, and they don't even want to acknowledge these people. I mean, what a horror show they have created. And, um, you know, I, I think that if someone 
uh, is a, an elected official and they push this on your family, why would you vote for them? You would vote for someone that tried to kill your family? You'd say, oh, well, they did a good job in this other area or, or some, some other little thing they did. They passed a law that I think is good. I mean, I don't, I don't see them passing any really great laws. But, you know, if there's something good that they did, what good could they have done that negates the fact that they wanted you to get a heart attack and they want your kids to get heart attacks or get cancer or any number of side effects and they couldn't care less? You would vote for someone who did that? I don't understand it. I really don't. So, Dr. Bowden, um, we only have a couple minutes left. We're, we're really at the end of our show here. Um, or is there any key point that uh, you think we should really impress upon the audience well, before we say when, goodbye? When Frank was telling us about his chronic cough that wouldn't go away, I, I can't give him medical advice, but I, I would like to plug a service called MyFreeDoctor.com, and they have like-minded physicians in all 50 states. You don't have to pay. They survive by donations, but there's no obligation to pay at all. They have treated over 300,000 COVID patients, and uh, I believe they said they had a six people die total of all those 300,000. Uh, they will treat early, and they don't just treat COVID. So I would encourage uh, your listeners to seek them out as a resource if you need one. Say that one more time, please. MyFreeDoctor.com. Okay, MyFreeDoctor.com. That's outstanding. So uh, we want to thank you, Dr. Mary Tally Bowden. I just commend you for what you were doing. I mean, you are truly a hero, and I'm so honored you took the time out of your day to be on this program. I consider every episode here is a historic record, folks. I mean, when we have these outstanding guests, please spread the word far and wide. The archive will be available on Monday, and again, Sure, I'd like a little bit of notoriety. I mean, I was a performing artist before I got dragged into the medical freedom movement, but I don't want any personal attention in regard to this. I want my guests to be heard and all of their expertise, and I want the public to be educated so that we can be happier and healthier and we can protect ourselves and our families. I mean, that's all this is about. I also would like to add, you know, again, medical freedom champions like Dr. Bowden have been so accessible to speak out, to give interviews. They're not snobs. They are real champions of the people in a way that um, I never experienced prior in my long career as an activist. It was, wasn't until the medical freedom movement that I saw people really just willing to, to give in this way, and I'm so thankful for that. So thank you for tuning into The Baseline, everyone. There's a number of ways you can support this show you can go to my Substack. I just completed a new Substack and interview with uh, the amazing, oh, I didn't mean to say amazing, another tremendous figure, uh, Dr. Kimberly Biss. Please read my interview with Dr. Biss. She uh, lays out some really important and concerning things that she's observed. Um, please go to jeremiahhosea.com. Buy a song for $1. Um, buy a chess lesson. I am a chess teacher. I've been underutilized as a chess teacher uh, by the listeners of this program, remotelearningchess.com is my company. Sign up for a 30-minute lesson, one-hour lesson. And uh, also, you could also, um, you can also, uh, again, follow 
Mary Tally Bowden at MD Breathe on Twitter. Um, please follow me, Earth Driver, on Twitter. And we're going to have a Twitter space tonight. So that's the thing. People are actually doing some interesting things on Twitter. Um, I don't mean to promote any social media company, but sort of like getting in a car at this point, it's just using the available technology. And I've met amazing guests on the Twitter platform. I've connected with some really great allies. I've connected with the vaccine injured. So get involved, folks. Do whatever you can do. We're in a very terrifying situation on the one hand, but it's also a very exciting time in terms of some major breakthroughs that we can make to really make the society a better society if we show some courage. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Dr. Bowden. Again, it was such an honor to have you on our airwaves. And I just uh, commend you for all that you're doing. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremiah.